way last, the end of January, and uh, we're talking about ways that God communicates with us. God is a communicator. He's not playing hide-and-seek with us. He's not trying to be elusive or distant. So we've been looking at all the ways that God has spoken to people in the past and all the ways that God continues to speak to people today. We looked at audible voice. We looked at dreams. We looked at visions. We looked at angels. And this first category, the first line that that you see up on the screen there are things that are not real common, not things God does every day or every week or even every year in a person's life. Some people have never had a vision. Some people have or a dream from God. So we see that these are rare things, but they are ways in which God has communicated and still continues to communicate with people in our day. Then we went to others and circumstances, how God will communicate through other people, through words of knowledge and wisdom, sometimes prophetic words, and then circumstances. We talked about those are a little more common, although we have to be careful, as we do in all of these, to test them to make sure that they are of God. And then we looked last week at creation, and we looked at his son. We looked at creation, we saw that God is communicating day and night. So when you go out and you look at the moon and the stars, there's a reason why there are stars in the sky. That's because God wants to communicate 24-7. So when you go out and look into the night sky, instead of, you know, sometimes darkness can be kind of fearful for people, it can be kind of scary for people, but God has made it so that even in the darkness we we can see his presence, and you can go out in a starry night, and there's something just powerful about that. We saw that all of creation is intended to be speaking to us, every language, Every hour of the day, God is speaking of his power and of his presence with us. And then we saw in Hebrews, as God has spoken to us in various ways in the past, through a number of these ways, you know, to the prophets, at times it was an audible voice, it was dreams, it was vision, it was angels. Now, he's spoken to us through his son. And we see the life of Christ as recorded in the Gospels, the words of God, as it were, to us. So, let me just share, I had a couple, I'll share a couple examples this week of God speaking to me. One was in the area of how God speaks through others, and at this occasion, it was God, I think, speaking through me. I was visiting with a friend, and we were just sharing together, and as this person was talking, I, I was all of a sudden just just overwhelmed with a sense that this person was talking to me about a direction in their life they were taking. And it was just like, this is so good. This is so right. This is so on track. And it was just like something inside me was just saying, you need to tell this person. And so I just said, you know, when you were talking, I said, I just felt so strongly in my own spirit that you know, what you're talking about is just, it just feels, it just seems right. It happened to do with reconciliation. And I, I, I know that reconciliation is 
in, in God's agenda. You know, anytime you're sensing something that's contrary to the Word. If I'd had this sense that, well, maybe you shouldn't pursue reconciliation here, uh, that probably would have failed the test because God is a God of reconciliation. And so God may speak through others. I also had a, another just example. I was, I was out one morning. I was just w- taking a walk with the dog, and I, I walk up Rib Mountain about 10 minutes, and I walk back through the woods. So I was walking through the woods thinking about my golf swing. And I thought, what a waste of the morning. Uh, <clears throat> so I thought, you know, I thought, you know, maybe you should practice what you preach here and just look around at creation and what's God saying. I just began to be aware. I began to hear birds that were singing and I began to just see everything that was here. And I, here's what happened to me. When I was doing that, here's how creation can speak. I get the feeling like I'm walking on someone else's property. And it's not the state park's property. It's like, this is God's property. God created all this, so I'm just aware of everything that I'm enjoying here and where I'm walking is something that God has given. You know, it's interesting, and I've mentioned this before, but in the founding, founding days of this country, property taxes were illegal. And the reason they were illegal is because the land belonged to God. And you can't tax God. And so it was illegal to tax property and land. And so we come a long way from, from that. But I, I just sense, you know, if you're on someone else's property, you need to be thinking about how you're treating it and maybe you need to get permission for what you're doing. I thought there's a lot of analogies there as we allow creation to speak to us when we realize this is a world given to us by God. God is always seeking to speak to us. So this morning, I want to talk about two more. These are ways, again, that God speaks to all of us. And the first way, again, just like creation is general to everybody, but His Son is more specific, more special. And so we see this morning also a very general way in which God speaks and then a more specific way. The first way that God speaks is through conscience. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves. Even though they do not have the law, since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing now even defending them. So what he's saying here is that we come with, uh, it's like when you get a computer and there's already a program on it. It's already been programmed. So we as people have been programmed with this thing called conscience. The law written on our hearts and our conscience bears witness to it. So God speaks to everyone through their conscience. Uh, we know there's something wrong with shoplifting or stealing from something. I think pretty much everybody know, has this sense in their conscience as they're stealing something that's probably wrong. There's a sense in which cheating on our taxes or lying about our income or something else, there would be a sense that that's wrong. Or taking the life of another person. 
our conscience bears witness to this moral law. One of the issues and one of the dilemmas for people that claim there is no God is the whole issue of, of morality. Because if there is no lawgiver, then there is no law. So then who decides the law? <clears throat> I mean, who says I can't take somebody else's life? Why can't I do that? If I want something, why can't I take it? And so we see that, we see that this conscience, we see the presence of God, the conscience he's put in the heart of mind, are all ways in which we understand morality. If we take God out of that equation, then it simply becomes a decision of what any culture decides is moral and is not. Thus, we have cultures where child sacrifice is completely right. We have cultures where women are treated like animals. We have cultures where people eat, eat one another. If there is no God, then, then culture can set whatever morals they would like to. Conscience is one of those signs that there is a God that is communicating. We have to be careful because conscience can malfunction. 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, the Spirit clearly says, in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So we have this conscience which is sensitive, but if you sear it, it loses its nerve endings and it can no longer be sensitive to what is right and wrong. That's kind of the picture here that he gives. And so a conscience can be seared. It can become hard and insensitive. In Romans 14, Paul talks about weak conscience. He gives a number of examples. One of them is there are those that say, well, I, I can't eat meat. I can only eat vegetables. Well, Paul said that would be an example of a, of a weak conscience, a conscience which is overly sensitive. And so we see our consciences can be weak. We also see 1 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. It says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And so just because my conscience is clear, ultimately it is the Lord and his standards and, and his judgments which are true. My conscience is not the final say. And so we see that God's word always needs to inform our conscience. So we see here that God is communicating to every human being through a sense of conscience, even though at times can be seared, it can at times be weak, it can times, at times be misinformed, we still have this thing called conscience through which God speaks to us. I want to spend just these next several minutes on <clears throat> the second one, and I think this is probably... This is probably one of the greatest ways that God has communicated with us, and that is through His Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped 
for every good work. So here's a good thing about the Word of God is that, yeah, there are some passages which we have differences of opinion where we're not all that clear, but by and large, there's a lot of clarity that God has given us in His Word. And so, you know, I can have a thought about something or what I think is a word of knowledge or I can have a vision about something, but what God has given us to His Word, through His Word, is, is pretty clear and pretty straightforward. And so we don't need to wonder if it's true. It is one of the most significant sources of clear communication that God has, has given to us. If you want to hear from God, you can read His Word. And it's, it's more than a, a little thank you inside, uh, a little note inside a thank you card. It is there's an extensive amount of knowledge and information and communication that God has given us through His Word. There are two words for the word word in the Bible. So when you see the Word of God, it can be one of two words. It could be the word logos, which is used 330 times in John 1.1. In the beginning was the logos. That's what the word that's used there. The logos was with God and the logos was God. So often you'll see the word logos. The other word, however, that you'll find in the Bible is the word rhema. Rhema is used 67 times. Uh, here's a couple examples. Romans 10, 8. You'll see, <clears throat> I don't know if we have that one up there or not. <clears throat> if not, I'm going to read that. Romans 10, 8. This is what it says. <clears throat> it uses the word, you'll see the word rhema is used here. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Word there is rhema. The rhema is near you in your mouth and in your heart. Also in Ephesians six seventeen, that word rhema is used. <clears throat> so what's the difference between these two words? Well, people kind of land in in, in two different, I would say extreme areas. On the one hand, there are those that have studied this, and you can read, and they'll say, these words are used, there's no sense to make any big deal about it because they're used interchangeably in the Bible, and they really probably are just meaning somewhat the same thing. There's not a lot of difference between them. So then on the other end, you have those who would say, <clears throat> that the Logos is God's written word from the past. God's rhema is God's fresh word for the day, God's fresh revelation to us, uh, almost to the point where God's revelation is progressive, that what God revealed to the apostles in the first century, that now God is revealing fresh information, fresh rhema today. And so you have those two extremes. One where the two are almost the same and, and the other where they're like completely almost separated into two different things, acting independently from each other. 
I believe there's a difference between these words. I think that's why there's different words that are used. Logos was given as we find it in the scriptures and I, you'll find that Logos is, is often referred to as the written established word of God. So God has given us his written word, his Logos, which is established. And then there's the rhema, which is, is God, by his spirit, bringing to life what is written in that word. In other words, it's the applied word. And so the rhema of the word is when you read the word of God and, and there's, an, there's a living sense to it, there's an application, there's an understanding that comes out of it. One is not more important than the other. The two are essential. I think the two are inseparable. And rhema is the engine that burns on the fuel of the written word of, of the Logos. In other words, Logos is the log and, and rhema is the flame that sets it on fire and provides warmth and provides heat. So this would be the application. We shouldn't fall into the trap of saying, you know, the Bible's nice, but I, I just rely on, on God's Spirit giving new and fresh revelation to me. That can lead you just about anywhere. We see there are many, many groups today established on that kind of revelation which comes out. We see that as, on the other hand, we see that in, you know, in, if we diminish the importance of that, of that rhema, then somehow we can spend time learning and studying and reading the Bible and memorizing the Bible and it can become lifeless and it become dead. Scripture warns us, <clears throat> about the heirs on, on both sides. And so we see, on the one hand, <clears throat> we need to be careful that we don't separate the Logos from the Rhema, that we don't, as, as we sense and hear God speaking to us, that we, we always do it in line with the Word. And the reason it's so important to study the Word and memorize the Word and know the Word is because the Holy Spirit will take the Word and bring it to life in your life. On the other hand, however, there is a danger that we focus on the Logos and fail to experience this Rhema in our lives. The words in this book, the word, what you find in this book will never save you. There's nothing saving about this book. <clears throat> this book points to one who can save. We don't worship this book. We worship a living Savior. In fact, you can use this book to avoid God. You can use the book, you can use the Bible to avoid God. You know, you can say, I don't, I don't need God to speak to me because He's already spoken to me. All I need to do is just read the Bible and that's all I need. 
I think a great example is found in, in John chapter 5. This is the Pharisees. He says, you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. You'll never find eternal life by simply reading the Bible, by knowing the Bible, by memorizing the Bible. Jesus said, these are the Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So you don't come to the Scriptures to, to find life, you go to the Scriptures to find Jesus. And as we find Jesus through the Word, because He is, in essence, the Word, as it says in John 1.1, I am the Word. I am the way. I, I am the truth. It's, it's all pointing to me. A.W. Tozer <clears throat> had a couple of, of really good quotes I came upon this week. Here's one of them. Fundamentalism has stood aloof from the more liberal strains in a sort of superiority and has on its own part fallen into air. The air of textualism, which is simply orthodoxy without the Holy Spirit. Everywhere among conservatives we find people who are Bible taught but not spirit taught. So they're into the Logos, but not the Rhema. <clears throat> they can parse the Greek, and they can understand, and they can outline, and they can know it all, but it's, it's, if we're not taught by the Spirit, if the Spirit's not taking the Word of God and, and applying it in our lives, then we, uh, we fall into error. Another one, he says, He cannot love a God who is no more than a deduction from a text we've substituted theological ideas for an arresting encounter. We are full of religious notions, but our great weakness is that our heart, for our hearts, there is no one there. Whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God. A genuine encounter with God. And so we find that we find Jesus through the Logos as the Spirit of God takes us and brings us into that experience and, and we come alive. So, so on the second point, here's, here's what I think is important to hear. That when you read the Bible, it is your relationship with God and the Holy Spirit's presence in your life and your connection with Christ that allows the Logos to come to life. And so we see that those words that were written 2,000 years ago can be, they can be read and felt and experienced as if God were speaking them to you today. I really believe that's true, and I believe that's what God would have for us. God speaks fresh revelation to us and the means to which He predominantly does it is through His Word. So if you want to hear fresh revelation from God, then get into His Word and read it. And He will take things that were written 2,000 years ago and speak them into your heart as if you were experiencing them today. I had an example this week. I was walking, uh, I was out for a walk, and 
I was thinking, and I think a lot, I think probably too much, and I was just, I'm, all, I'm usually thinking in, I kind of think in the future more than in the present. And so I'm walking along, and I'm thinking how, how thankful it is that I'm able to walk, and I have my legs, and I can do this, and then I'm thinking, you know, one day, you're going to be in a place where you're not going to be able to walk anymore. And so I'm, I'm thinking this and starting to get almost a little depressed about it. And um, I, I felt like God spoke to me and kind of said, why, why are you thinking off in the future? And what immediately came into my mind, because I have I've spent time in the Word, were Jesus' words where he said, you know, look at the lilies and look at the sparrows. God takes care of them. He says, why worry about tomorrow? Tomorrow will have enough troubles of its own. Just live in today. Now, I've read that. I've preached on that. I've, you know, that verse is in my mind. And so, here's what I believe happened. I believe that the Spirit of God, God Himself, took those words that, that He has written and that were appropriate for my life in that situation and, and brought them to my mind and took His Word and, and made it alive and fresh. Now, I don't know what the situation was when Jesus spoke that back in Matthew. There was a group of people there and it was fresh to them and I'm sure it was applicable to them. But for me, it was like God spoke those words to me in that moment, in, in that time. And they felt fresh and they felt very powerful and I, I received them and I had a really good day because I just focused on the blessings of that day and the things that God had given me to that, in that day to enjoy. And so God will take the written word and He will take the rhema word and He will take that word of God that's been written and He'll bring it to life in, in your life and in mine. Here's my point. It's not just with our intellect that we... You know, we don't just go to the Bible and use our intellect and our minds to figure out what the Bible's saying and learn it. There's another component. There is the living presence of Christ in us through His Spirit, which, which, who will take that Word and, and bring it to life in each of our lives. And that is a miraculous experience of God speaking. And so, you know, I have Christians who say, you know, God never really speaks to me. But they'll open their Bibles in the morning and they'll read the Word of God and it will, they will, it will come to life and they will understand it. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. How do we do that? Through the Spirit. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom. So who's teaching us then? Are we teaching ourselves? Words taught by the Spirit expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. But the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The ESV says this. Here's a quote. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. 
When you open your Bible and there's a spiritual truth and, and you are a spiritual person, it will be revealed to you not because you're so smart, not because you have a mind, not because you have intellect. It will be revealed to you because of a miraculous work of God in your life through His Spirit. Yes, it comes through your mind, but it comes through the Spirit of God at work. And so here's my application for you. Anytime, and if you don't, you need to, in some way, shape, or form, you need to have a time when you sit down where the Word of God is a part of, of, of a, a time when you come before God because God is going to use that Word to speak to you in a, in a powerful and in a fresh way. This is, I think, the most common way that, that God speaks to us, and He can speak to us continually. Every day of our lives, we can hear from God as He speaks to us in this miraculous way through His Word. I think sometimes we, we just forget that the person who is not spiritual, if he sits down with this book and begins to read it, it means very little. You can probably comprehend some, some practical things from it, but it is only through the miraculous work of God speaking to you through His Spirit that spiritual truths are taken and brought to life. Next week we will continue on with a, one final thought on this. So I'm going to We'll conclude here. I invite you to pray with me. Father, thank you for speaking to us through your word. Father, might we not minimize the miracle of, of your spirit using this word to speak to our hearts and to our lives and to giving us hope and faith and joy and strength and correction, and all the ways in which you use this word that you've given to us in the hands of your spirit. Thank you for being a God that desires to speak to us. We're just grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.